This is the part I've been looking forward to the most because I love, I think that as brethren, as the church, that we should have open dialogue. We should be talking to each other. We should, and even if there are things that are challenging that may be presented, don't let that scare you off. You know, you're going you're gonna to find out, and I hope I get questions that stump me. I want questions I don't have an answer to because that challenges me to go back and answer that question for you. That, that propels me to study further. Um, I don't know is an accurate answer when you simply don't know something. Don't, don't act like you know something. Don't, because assume anything, we know how that old saying goes. And it happens almost every time if you assume something. So with these questions, I'll give you the best detailed answer that I can give you. I don't know everything. Uh, I don't profess to know everything. Uh, anybody that does profess to know anything, well, you know, we know they're not correct. So um, the resources I just gave you, if you haven't gotten a piece of paper, raise your hand, I'll swing by and I'll give you one. Or you can grab one on the podium on the way out. Let's just do I set several out there. But what I did here is I compiled a list of resources, and I went this route. I was going to give you... A different format but it was going to be a packet and I just sat back and I prayed on it and I thought about it and I said you know what I think what I could do that will be not only easier on me but I think benefit everyone here is and I'm just a I'm just a stickler for personal study like I, I think that is something that we live busy lives you know we it's something that I can't fathom about the American life. Everything is so fast-paced. Fast food, fast taxes, you know, fast dry cleaning, everything's fast, 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 fast. But yet we have no time for anything. Ain't that wild? We have the ease of life in this country that makes everything so much easier. Like we're talking about in Sunday school, the Israelites traveling back to Israel, a thousand-mile journey, wasn't it? Wasn't that what we said, thousand miles? And that's by foot, by cart, no paved roads. And I mean, we, we just literally jumped into a vehicle and traveled up the road, you know, several miles in a matter of minutes. I mean, we live in this society that is just, we're so extremely blessed, but we absolutely have no time for the things that are genuinely, ultimately important. So I encourage you, my hope and prayer is this, is that not necessarily that you've learned about the witnesses, that's great and all, but... I want you to learn more about Jesus. I want you to learn more about your walk and grow in that. And I, I, I laid this out so you will have the opportunity to go to these places and look up these resources because simply all those resources is what's compiled in this book right here. You know, this has been several years of work in the making, but um, quickly, um, as I've listed there for practical and practicality and application, I'll list these for you. But um, the website here, the first one, and I have to underline what the uh, references are and the resources. Um, JW Facts, this is what I draw mightily on. This guy that had this, his name was Paul Grundy, and, um, or his name is Paul Grundy. He is a former elder in Australia that created this website, and he goes through every single facet of what Jehovah's Witnesses have believed, all the way from the late 1800s to now. He gives you current statistics on everything. He tells you what's going on within the society. And it's, that site's always being updated and, and added things to it. But 
he, um, he breaks down their doctrines and he shows us, telling Brother Sammy, this guy's an agnostic. He's not a Christian. So be prepared when you go there, if you go there, that he's going to espouse some things that you ain't necessarily going to agree with. But don't let that take away from the valuable information that's within this site that's still there. And I mean, I'm sure you've listened to theologians or apologists or, you know, evangelists or something, and they have said something about a sub sub-issue or tertiary issue that you necessarily didn't agree with, but you still were able to draw the truths out of what you did agree on. Like the, the, you know, basically what we've gone over of the Trinity of Christ being God and how one is saved. And I want to throw in a, a big uh, shout out to you, Brother Sammy. I really enjoyed that message this morning. I thought that was very thorough. I thought that was extremely well done. And I, I, I just loved it. I loved that, you know, the sinner's prayer, and I think you gave the best one concerning Matthew, you know, that, you know, I'm a sinner, you know, you have to acknowledge who and what you are, and you have to acknowledge what, who and what Jesus is before you could ever, John 6, says that the Spirit draws us, God draws us to Him, and in that point, we have a choice, either we take it or leave it. Then at the, onset, at the outset of that, God either saves us or lets us go our own way. It starts with God and it ends with God. Right in the middle of that is our choice whether we're going to accept God or not. So I, think, I thought that was a very, very good message this morning. Um, amen. And then the next two sites, karm.org and Got Questions, I think that right there is what would really benefit you the most as far as not just Jehovah's Witnesses, but anything. They cover Islam, they cover Mormonism, they cover a broad spectrum, and not just that. Uh, got questions primarily, it will, um, their setup is ask a question and we'll get back to you and answer you. If you haven't ever visited that site, that's a great tool. I still use Got Questions to this day, but CARM, um, they have a chart with you know, concerning the Trinity and shows you the subsequent scriptures that show God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Really break it down. They have, they have a very effective tool in that. And all of those questions that I did that the witnesses will say in objection to the Trinity, in objection to Jesus being God, though all those questions are listed on that side as well. Once again, a caveat with that, um, that is a Reformed theology or a Calvinist site. You don't have to agree with Reformed theology to pull that good theology that they do have concerning the Trinity and what, so be mindful of that. I just want to throw those out there so you're aware of it. I don't want people, you know, oh, what'd you send me to, you know, um, and then getting this idea that I'm trying to spin you a certain way. I'm not. I'm just saying that there is valuable information there, albeit they hold that theological view. Um, the next one is... David A. Reed's book, um, Index of Watchtower Errors. That is a gold mine. All, all that book does is this guy took quotes from the late 1800s up to the 1980s, and there will be a topic, like, say, Jesus, you know, and it'll show subsequent quotes and comments from published works of the Watchtower that said that they were supposed to worship Jesus, then he'll follow up and show where they defeated themselves and saying that you're not supposed to. So what it does, it takes those topics and it uses 
only the Watchtower's words to refute itself. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant, brilliant tool. If you ever get into a conversation with them, if I were to point you anywhere, it would be that right there. That right there, he has done the work for you. All you got to do is hit, a, hit what topic you're talking about, and you just let the witness read it. They can't, they can't argue with the Watchtower's own words. So that's a, that's a beautiful tool. Um, there's a couple other books. Um, apologetically speaking, and, um, you know, uh, I know who here went to uh, Frank Turk when he, when he came around? His book, Norman, him and Norman Geisler, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. It does deal with atheism, but what I think it does, it, it really rounds out the classical apologetics argument, giving evidence for the existence of God, but also the reliability of the New Testament. And going into that, Cold Case Christianity by J. Warner Wallace. That right there is a book. If you have never read that, you need to read that. That It shows you, he's a cold case homicide detective that used cold case homicide skills on the four Gospels and as an atheist come to the conclusion, looking at the eyewitness testimony, that it was true, corroborated, eyewitness, evidential testimony. No other way around it. Like, it, it, it's, it's phenomenal stuff. Um, then there's some podcasts, if you like podcasts. Um, Naked Bible podcast. I know that sounds wild, but what he does is he strips the Bible down and shows you from an ancient Israelite Second Temple period Jews worldview. His whole goal is to get you to walk in their shoes and look at the world as if they perceived it. When they wrote Scripture, they had a biblical, not a biblical, but a spiritual worldview. They had a supernatural worldview that I feel that the modern world has lost touch with. Really understanding what the Bible and what the Bible authors are and the things about, you know, Trinity and God being Jesus and, and salvation, that's all the same. That, this is like when you come up on stuff in the Bible and you don't really understand it and it's weird. His saying is, if it's weird, it's probably important. If something's going on, you know, that you, don't really, you really can't put your finger on, there's probably some theological importance to that. That's if you want to delve really, really deep. Um, you don't have to, but I, I really enjoy his stuff, and he really causes me to think about things and, about, and look at things in a different perspective. So, um, Another is cross-examined by Frank Turek. It's apologetic in nature, but they deal with theology on there all the time and political stuff and just issues in the culture. It's really good. And then, uh, of course, all of C.S. Lewis's work. Um, I, I am a C.S. Lewis fanboy. I love Lewis. Lewis is just, I mean, he, God molded that man. And, and I mean, we didn't even know what we had in him at the time of his life. And I mean, he has just reverberated into not just Christian culture, but just the world so much with his work. And I would advise mere Christianity. If there was ever a book that really, really just hit me on the chin and made me realize Christianity and what it is and how vibrant it is, is that book. Mere Christianity is absolutely wonderful. I read it every year. It is such a good book, and I still learn something from it all the time. Um, and lastly, I'll say, most people have a study Bible, but if you don't, get one. Um, Again, I go back to the Apologetic Study Bible, and the reason I do is because of the level of detail that it gives you. It's not only going to give you the Orthodox Christian view, 
but it's also going to give you tertiary views, and it's also going to give you opposing views from, you know, skeptics and critics of the thing. So you have a full, well-rounded view of what people think about it and how to be able to engage and articulate people in the right way. Um, has a lot, the Apologetic Study Bible has a lot of good information in it. And Kyle, you mentioned it. All these are recorded. That's another resource if you need to go back and listen to something. And, you know, but ultimately, and I lastly, I'll say, you got me. If you ever need, you ever need help with something, don't hesitate to call me. I, look, guys, I work at the house. I welcome your call. Like, I get lonely sitting there with an English bulldog, you know. I mean, all she does is stink the place up and chew everything in the room. And I love her to death, but she don't talk very much. So you call me, and this is my favorite thing to talk about. I love talking about theology. I love talking about, you know, I love deep questions. And I hope tonight, when I open the floor here in just a second, that I get questions that I have and I don't know. I'm going to have to get back to you on that. I really do. I hope that I intro I'm introduced to that and that you give me a different question, a different spin on things that I haven't thought of. So, um, like I said, I'll answer best I can. I'll say, I'm not sure. I'll get back with you. But if it's very deep and very involved, I'll say, get with me after. You know, it's just for the sake of time or it may be a real touchy subject. So, <clears throat> um, without further ado, I open the floor. And again, I'm going to repeat your question so it'll be able for audio and everything. So, who wants to go first? Brother Sammy, you can't go first now. You've got to let one of them go first. What do you got? Mm -hmm. They will. Um, so, is your question concerning, like, why do they do that? Okay. His question was, why is it that they tend to group Latter-day Saints in with the Jehovah's Witnesses? And that's a good question. Is I mean, you got the door-to-door -door preaching work. I mean, they're, they're synonymous for that. Everybody knows. And, and it's easy to, you know get them mixed up. You know, I will just simply say upon observation, um, you see couple two guys, typically it's two Mormons when they're in they're in ministry and they're on missions what they call. Whenever they do that, there's two of them, always two, but they're generally on bicycles. That's generally their mode of transportation. Not always, but generally it is. We just saw two the other day pass right by the store where we're sitting in there, had their little helmets on, their little ties flapping in the wind. And Ever get a chance to talk to them? They're really nice people. Um, there's a lot of Mormons that I think a lot of, you know. Um, I will say, to add on to that, one of the craziest interactions that I had was, is I was a witness, I was sitting down in the living room with the Mormons, they come in, you should have seen that, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons going at it. And the, their explanation of the Book of Mormon, why it, how it fits with the Bible, they just laid it on top of the Bible and did that. I said, see, see how it works. Uh, you're going to have to give me a little more than that. But, um, yeah, that's commonplace, but the theology is totally different. They have a lot of similarities. Um, what you're going to find with groups like this that are works-based, high-control groups, or you get into the classification of a cult. Like, for me, a cult is somebody like Jim Jones, David Koresh, those kind of guys that are really, really, really 
violent. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses tend, like, they, with their blood issue, they tend to gravitate that way for a time, but they're steadily backing off that. I feel before long they're going to say it's okay to use blood again. I feel like as, as time goes forward, that's what's going to happen. But Mormons, they, they'll do blood transfusions. They will um, they celebrate holidays and things like that. But um, maybe I get a chance to do Mormons sometime in the future. I've got a, I've got a whole another black binder of, of, I love stuff like that. But there are distinctions and, di- and differentiations, but the best way you can tell a, a Latter-day Saint from a Jehovah's Witness is that Book of Mormon. They got a Book of Mormon, they're, they're, they're a Mormon. Um, anybody else? Yeah. Who founded, who founded Jehovah's Witnesses? A guy named Charles Taze Russell. Um, went over him a little bit. Um, I know we covered so much ground, you know, but he, he's the guy, late 1800s, just kind of give you a broad overview. He... Um, was affiliated with Seven Day Adventism. Um, he he floated around a lot because he was on a search for truth, and he was on a search for what was biblically true. And he created Zion's Watchtower and several other publications. And when all that happened, he started gaining a following, and the following was called then, at the early inception of Jehovah's Witnesses, the Bible Students. They were called the Bible Student Movement. And... Um, Ironically, a lot of the core beliefs that they had then are not what you see today. The name got Isaiah 48, uh, I can't remember the exact verse, but um, I want to say 48, 13, but I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. But you are my witnesses. That's when the next president, Rutherford, took over, and that's when they were established as Jehovah's Witnesses in like the 19, I don't want to tell you wrong there, early 1900s, around 19. 20s, I guess, I would say. I think, I think it was. I have to look back. But, um, yeah, Charles Taze Russell, he's a guy that kicked it all off. And then it just snowballed from there. All right. Yes, sir. I don't know. I want to say they gave them away. I don't want, don't, I don't want to tell you wrong. But um, I want to say that they, they may have took a voluntary donation which they still do. That's another question. If y'all want to talk about tithe, ask about tithe, somebody. Let's throw that one out there. But um, probably voluntary donation. I, I don't know. I, I doubt they sold them. They generally give them away. That, that would be my answer. I'll look into that for you, though. Yes, sir. What you? Great question. Love that question. They do. How many chapters or, ch- or uh, kingdom halls? I don't know the exact number, but I know worldwide there are a little over 8 million. I would, there's several hundred, probably thousand in America. I haven't looked at the numbers, you know, the actual statistics of how many in just America or worldwide, really. But um, I'll say this, when I went to Chiquimula, Guatemala, there's a kingdom hall there. It was bright pink. Oh, they're huge down there. That is a, a gold mine for Jehovah's Witnesses, South America. Um, the 144,000, and this is exactly how it was explained to me. I'm not making this up. This is, it's, this is literally how I was told because I asked the question. 
I mean, I think y'all have been around me long enough. I like asking questions. I like, <laughs> like probing things. I asked the elder that I was studying with that, you know, when I was going doing my baptismal questions and all that to be baptized, I asked him about the 144,000. How does somebody know? How do they genuinely know that they are? And he says, you know you're a man, right? And I'm like, it's pretty obvious. You know, uh, yeah, I'm a man. He's like, well, that's how you know. Nothing. They just have a, they just know they are. <laughs> that's a correct response, okay? I mean, that, that's all I got to give you. They say that they have been keeping account of them since the first century. I've never seen it. I've never seen the chart. I've never seen, you know. It's just allegorical. It's, it's, it's not literal in the literal sense. When, and there is, a, you, as you know, there is a lot of imagery in Revelation, that when they're depicting an image, it's not necessarily that, it's describing a truth, describing, you know, giving you a, a, a picture of, of how it may unfold. But I think that those, those subsequent verses there for that, for 104,000, is pretty straightforward. I think that's pretty, you know, that's 144,000 Jews. That it is talking about the Jews. That's the context of it, and you're absolutely correct. That is Context is key. When you start, like I said, cherry-picking, isolating, eisegesis of those verses, you can build a whole doctrine around that instead of looking at it contextually through the whole, you know, before and after. Sometimes it takes entire chapters. you got to read, as you know, it takes two and three chapters to really illustrate a point that you may pick up in a verse. So, yeah, that's just one of those case and points. They pluck it and say, aha, you know, this... We're going to have a... No. They, well, my time there, <clears throat> my time there, I saw two anointed, I think. And see, when they do what we call communion, they call Passover, they do the wine and the bread and all that, but the ones with the earthly hope, like myself was, you don't partake of it. Only the 144,000 do. And that's their way of being able to say, oh, he's 144,000, he, he was a partaker. So, and they fudged the numbers. I mean, it, there's no way to keep up with the, the actual 144,000 like that. It's impossible. There's, there's no way. But great question. I know, I know that's silly. That's the best answer I can give you. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, it's it's probably it used to be. Um, oh, what was his last name? You probably remember him, Kelsey. Older gentleman back then, um, Weaver, Kelsey Weaver. He was the presiding overseer. Mm -hmm. I think he's passed now, but um, I don't know who is now. I have no idea who the presiding. I mean, I haven't been in the Kingdom Hall in a very long time. So. They have, a, uh, they have a circuit overseer that's in that circuit or district, and literally him and his wife are like nomads, and they travel around and stay in people's homes, and they go to Kingdom Hall to Kingdom Hall and just 
statistics, tell them what's going on in the world, tell them what's going on in the society, what they can do to get their numbers up and field service and this, that, and the other. And it was an honor to keep the district overseer at your house. Like, people fought for it. You know, they, had, they never had to worry about money or food or anything because the congregations were more than happy to let them stay in their home and eat their food. I mean, it's, it's how they roll. Yes, sir. Mark their materials. Mm hmm. Uh-huh. <clears throat> well, that's 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 a real. You actually bring up a very good point. <clears throat> I'm actually going to read you something. His question was: Is do they ever publicize their their authors or publishers of their works and their materials? Um, let me see. In the foreword of New World Translation, this one may be too old to actually say it. Um, but basically, in the foreword of this, they basically talk about the undertaking of um, translating the Bible into Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek scriptures. And they will say, you know, basically, to cut it short, they, they just give credit to the Holy Spirit and they want to remain humble and they don't want to put people's names to who actually done it. But I have several articles stowed away of Greek and Hebrew scholars that just tore the New World Translation apart. Like they, Many of them say it's the worst translation they have ever seen. Like it's just, it's obvious that they're trying to make it fit their doctrines. And, and it's just, like I said, I could still preach the gospel out of it, but the only way I would be able to do it is if knowing what the actual autographs of Scripture say, you know, having subsequent other Bibles to be able to go back to to clear that up. But, um, yeah, they don't take credit. They're not going to put anybody's name to, to their publications. They're just not going to do it. All right, anybody else? Okay. Yep. So 15,000 in Alabama. And you'd probably thought there'd be more than that. But the reason why you think there's more of them than there are, they're very busy. Very, very busy. Like, I've, heard pe I've heard people say, well, how many of them they got? They're here every weekend, and it's... <clears throat> but they're just on a route. I mean, they just... They, they have a map, and they know... Yep. <clears throat> yep. 
They, they have a big map in the kingdom hall right when you walk in. Right when I was going, they've put a new one up now. Ask me about the kingdom halls and how they're built. That's a question. But there's a big map right there, and it's all Franklin County. And there's dots and pins and X's and you name it. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Sammy. They're called quick builds. They build them in three days. How are kingdom halls built? And they build them in three days. They're worshiping on Sunday. They start Thursday evening, Thursday morning, Thursday evening, and they're built and worshiping on Sunday. Foundation laid, walls up. It is really remarkable to watch them do it. It is Hundreds of people, feeding people, handing out water, switching out on breaks. They do not stop. You want to talk about a congregation that works together, I got to give it to them. They make us look bad. They make us look bad. And that's something they pride themselves on. And they should. They should. Even though it's perpetrated on, on lies, we're sitting on the truth, and we don't, do, we don't have near, near the tenacity they do. For them perpetrating a lie, and we're sitting on the truth. I can't, I'm sorry, if that squashes your toes, I'm sorry. But it's just the truth. Yes. What? Everybody thinks that the tabernacle, the Mormon tabernacle, down, or the temple down there is Jehovah's Witnesses. It gets mixed up, you know. But, um, no, when you're coming out of town, heading towards Hester Heights, you see that big temple? That's Mormons there. Um... Jehovah's Witnesses are out on Leeton Highway, out by Mount Nebo. So, but yeah, they'll, they will flat build a kingdom hall. They have, at the time I was there, they had three or four different plans. You pick a plan, the congregation picks a plan, break ground, get to work. The society. You get enough donations and stuff, I'll get you right. They get enough donations... And all that, the society works in tandem with them, the organization, and they'll get them one built. Pretty wild. Yes, sir. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The 144,000, his question was, is from the biblical perspective, and he read from Dr. David Jeremiah, that the 144,000 are going to be prophetizing pretty much in tribulation. And that's a correct view. That, that is a correct view of what Scripture alludes to. Um, their view is that 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses among the Jehovah's Witnesses will go to heaven with Christ and rule as kings, priests, and judges. The rest of the earth, of people or the witnesses, will remain on a refurbished earth, a paradise earth. They call it the earthly hope and the heavenly hope. They make that distinction. And I know that's really hard to parse out. I know because y'all have all heaven, 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 I'm going to heaven. You got, when you're talking with these people, you got to remember that that is not their view. They're not believing everybody's going to heaven, heaven up to be in glory with God. 
they're going to be resurrected back to a paradise earth. And I think <clears throat> they got some of it right. Because I, I clearly see from Revelation at the end, primarily, I'm not, I'm not um, versed in eschatology or end times like I should be. I, I know my faults and I don't care to admit them. I have just not spent, my focus is always getting people into the kingdom. That's just been my main concern and showing the existence of God and that Christianity is true. Um, I just haven't really dealt with eschatology a lot. And what I have dealt with, this is the summation that I get. I think they're partly right in ways because I do see from Revelation, it looks as if there's going to be not only a new heavens, but a new earth, and that we will be resurrected to this new heaven, and there will be, or new earth rather, and that Jesus will rule from New Jerusalem as it was intended from the beginning. I mean, God established a garden for a reason. He's going to see that through. He said, fill the earth and do it, did he not? Take ownership of it. Well, that, I still believe that plan's going to come to fruition. It's just their view of it, it's just skewed under their theology. Um, did that answer your question? All right. When do they start counting the 144th? I knew this would be the hot topic. I knew that that was going to be it. When do they start counting the 144,000? First century. The first century. It's going to be one of, it's never going to be met. Because this, if you go to that JW Facts page I put on the resources, he covers this in broad detail. A lot more thorough than I can right now. But um, basically, that was a problem in and among the witnesses that um, they started noticing that too. How can we keep up with this? How can. How do we genuinely know that? Well, the society caught wind of that, and they started making arguments. Well, some of the anointed fell away, and then somebody else subsequently had to take over for that slot and all this. And it's just, it's word games, semantics, just to keep the facade up, really. And it ain't no different than when they would prophesy something like 1914, that's, the, that's when Armageddon's going to happen. And 1925, 1975, all these prophecies they made, well, they didn't happen. This is going to fall right into that column. When they realize 100 years from now, hey, this 144,000 thing, you know, well, we're waiting on two, you know. Like, like, how do you know? I mean, how do you have accountability for that? I mean, I think probably their answer is going to be, well, Jehovah knows. Not really, because most people don't want to be anointed. He's asking if there's competition among the witnesses on this. You got to understand something. Most witnesses don't want to go to heaven. They want to go here. They want to be on earth. I mean, that's, that's what they want. And I think a lot of people do it. A lot of, and it can only be men, I believe. Yeah, I think it's only men. I, I've checked into that court for you, court. Don't misquote me, but I am pretty positive. I will, I will make sure of that.
but I'm fairly certain, I'm fairly certain it's only men. I'm going to look into that. I, I'm, I'm confident in that, but I'm fairly certain that it is. I don't want to tell you wrong, but anyway. Um, anybody got anything else other than the 144,000? All right. You care if I get hurt real quick? Go ahead, baby. They get baptized at district conventions. I haven't talked about conventions. Conventions, have y'all ever heard about a witness convention? Really? That's a long way. We just go to the Von Braun Center. Yep. That, they, uh, they have an annual um, assembly is what they call it. And, again, her question was how they got baptized. And at that annual assembly, district assembly, all baptismal nominees will go, and you answer two questions. Um, I don't know them verbatim, but basically aligning yourself with the organization. And then you walk into this um, above-ground pool they sit up there, and they dunk you, and you're just in a line, and they'll just dunk you down, and... Everybody's all clapping and crying, standing around. They do it at lunchtime, too, which is very inconvenient because you're star- this thing's like 10 hours long for like four days, three, four days. And it's like thousands of witnesses around in Von Braun Center and numerous speakers. They put on plays and everything. Like that. Guys, I mean, I can't say that that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, they have camaraderie. They, they, they will help one another. They will stand by one another. And you can't say that's not a good thing. Albeit, they're, they're propagating falsehood, but I think it is something we can learn from. Their, their camaraderie, their work ethic, and being there for one another. Not to say that they don't have squabbles, but they're people. But that was really the big thing for me. Was this, the, the connectivity in the organization that they had was very attractive to me. Extreme, and it's very attractive to a lot of people. It's like, hey, they got it together. They know what they're talking about. If you look like you know what you're talking about, people think you know what you're talking about. It's probably why nobody wants to listen to me. <laughs> All right, what else we got? Yes, sir. You can tell the preachers really want to know. They believe in an actual heaven. They believe that paradise will be here on a refurbished earth for the 144,000 going to heaven. Everybody else that's a follower of Jehovah will stay on earth. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. He's asking if uh, the new heavens and new earth is connected with, you know, the 144,000 and... a new uh, paradise earth, this earth being refurbished. And the reason why they say it's not going to be a new earth is because you got Old Testament scripture that says the earth will stand till time indefinite. That's why it's so important to understand genres in scripture. The Bible is full of different genres. There's narrative, there's historical, there's war, there's poems, there's comedy. Did you know there's comedy in there? Comedy doesn't mean ha-ha. Like Jesus and the crucifixion is a comedy. That's by literary standards is called a comedy. Not, not in the sense of being funny, but tragic. It's tragic 
but yeah, there's a good ending. Why? Like, huh, well, ain't that funny? Look how that worked out. He's dead, now he's alive. That's a, that is a direct, that's, that's comedy in literary genre. And <clears throat> it's because an event occurred that you didn't expect. You see what I mean? That's, that's what the label is, so don't, don't misinterpret. Don't hear what I didn't say. It's not like Kevin Hart funny, you know, stand-up comedy on Netflix. This is, you know, wow, usually when people die, they stay dead. He didn't. So, surprise. That's what it means by that literary genre. Um, but understanding genres helps us understand when people speak in hyperbole. You know, like, if I'm playing cornhole, you know, with my buddies, we're sitting there, we're and I just destroy them at cornhole. They don't even score a point. And I say, I destroyed you. Did I literally destroy them? No. I beat them at the game. It's hyperbole. So when you say that the earth will stand till time and death, you've got to understand that there's hyperbole with that. This earth won't. There will be a new one. There's going to be a new creation. And I, that's, that's made clear in the New Testament. In a sense, he asked if they see hell as hyperbole. Hyp, I can't say the hyperbole. I was going to say hyperbolic. But um, they do, and they see it more of an analogy, you know, as a description. And as I said the previous night, you know, a couple nights ago or Sundays ago, I don't not necessarily know if it's genuine fire and worms and all. It's possible. It could be. It very well could be. And if it is, I'm not going to be surprised. This is what I do know that hell is. It is the eternal separation from God in all and every way. No love, no compassion, no grace, no mercy. Because we experience that now. Even as a non-believer, you're still experiencing the grace of God. It's called provenient grace. He's giving you grace right now. But... One day, that grace is going to go away, eternally. Um, yes, they have, they do, they, let me, let me word this right. In the Greek scriptures of the Old Testament, you have a realm of the dead called Sheol. An ancient, regardless of what we believe or whatever, the ancient Israelites believed that to be a genuine abode of the dead. They did. That, that was their belief. The witnesses say that that is simply the grave. And that in the Greek, when you read Hades, and they're referring to Hades, they're referring back to that Sheol and that methodology of it being just simply the grave. And that's, and that's all. So, did that answer your question? Okay. <clears throat> Let me, can I get B? Is that okay? Sure. All right. Go ahead, B. That, that's the surefire way to make it. That, that, in that workspace, he asked what, <clears throat> what does that basically entail? What does that mean for them when they're baptized, essentially is what you're asking. When they're baptized, that <clears throat> marks them as being a genuine, true believer. That baptized believers and dedicated and loyal followers of Jehovah that never slip up are going to be saved at Armageddon. 
<clears throat> to break down what I answered uh, or I showed the other son this past Sunday, <clears throat> and what he's asking is, is that, you know, if you, are you asking, like, before they're baptized, like, what chance do they have or whatever? Or? Oh, absolutely, yeah. The only thing I can tell you is, is that, yes, they push for baptism of members and to walk that fine line of, of being dedicated to Jehovah and, and faithful service and all that, and that you'll be honored and, and rewarded for that. But it's like I said the other night, now knowing what I know, I would have just rolled the dice and lived life the way I wanted to because they believe if you died before Armageddon, that you have a resurrection hope, that you'll be raped because you pay for your sins upon death. Romans 6, 23. You know, remember, we covered that extensively. Um, yeah, that, for me, now, in retrospect, I would just roll the dice and live the life the way I wanted to. You know, why subject myself to all that, and even baptism, when I still don't have assurance, I only have a hope. I'm still not assured anything. I could still lose my life at Armageddon as a Jehovah's Witness because of the sin in my life. I mean, could you imagine living a life like that? You're, you're dedicated and you do everything that's asked of you and you still... That, that, no assurance. No. Absolutely not. Good question, B. All of it is. Every bit of it. <clears throat> they love the book of James. Love it. Quote it a lot. Anybody? Y'all are surprising me. You're not asking about birthdays and holidays and stuff. That's fine. You can not, you, we can talk about that. That's what this is for. Well, <clears throat> once again, it's imagery. It's they will often lead into how can a loving God send anyone to hell? That's usually the slap that they give people to send people back on their heels, you know? And that tends to, you know, shake people's resolve and think, yeah, if God is love, why would he send somebody to hell, you know? And then, like, for example, like in, you know, Lazarus and the rich man. That is a parable. They will, they will, they will reiterate over and over and over and over again that that's a parable. That's a parable. He's just using that to explain something else, you know, just using it like I did with cornhole, you know. The same way, and they feel those verses 
are subsequently doing the same thing, that in Revelation, that they're explaining, you know, the lake of fire and death and all that will be destroyed, everlasting. See, in their, in their New World Translation, it says everlasting destruction. See how that works? Like, it's really easy when you just plug in whatever word you want to, you know. It's, it's butchered. It's a mockery of the Holy Scriptures. It really, really is. It's, it's, it's a terrible... Um, Corey, I'm going to get you next, but I, I want to read something you're going to love. <clears throat> a person would go into darkness after two years of reading the Bible alone, would be in light reading the studies in the Scriptures alone. Watchtower 1910. There's been no clear understanding of the Bible for centuries. Watchtower 1911. Rather, we should seek for dependent Bible study rather than for independent Bible study. Watchtower 1911. There's one I want to read you that you'll love. The Bible is an organization minded is organization minded and it cannot be fully understood without having our theocratic organization in mind. Watchtower 1954. <clears throat> Let me see. There's one and that obviously I wouldn't find it. The Bible is a sealed book except to the organization. 19, Watchtower 1973. Fight against independent thinking, Watchtower 1983, avoid independent thinking, question the council that is provided by God's visible organization. Read only the Bible, this is one, I think, yeah, read only the Bible, Christendom does this and look at the misunderstanding of the true message of God's word. We're labeled Christendom. Anybody that's not a Jehovah's Witness that professes to be a Christian, you're, you are under the false religion of Christendom. Now, and I've had people say, Witnesses, you know, how dare you get up there and, and talk about us this way and this, that, and the other. I mean, like what you've been doing to the church every time I walk into the kingdom hall. I mean, the Watchtower is all about truth, and it'll say, you know, we need, to, we need to search out truth no matter what. And if somebody's saying something contrary to truth, no matter who it is, we should abandon that. We should, and okay, Watchtower, I'll take your advice on that. You're a prime candidate for, you know, giving out false information and not, and not upholding the truth. So, um, Corey, go ahead. What did you? Mm-hmm. Great question. Her question is concerning children. If there's children programs like, you know, you know, children's ministry and things like that, none of that. A child sits out here with the adult and learns as the adults do. Babies up. 
I don't necessarily disagree with it. I don't, because, I mean, kids can learn. It's like me and Katie were talking about when I handed her the sheet. She was in there messing around with stuff. She showed me a book, uh, my book of Bible stories, that, you know, she remembered when she was a kid, you know. And I've read it cover to cover, you know. that. But I told her, I said, that is the most in-depth Bible story book I've ever read because they do put their theology in it at a child's level, but they're training that child up. That child is going to get doses of that theology at a very young age i've seen kids i've seen boys young as eight years old give talks in a suit and tie pull a little podium down there for them and cutest little thing you ever saw i mean just just a little little man up there in his suit and he's reading and and i mean it it made our hearts glad to see our young people taking it serious like that and taking up a challenge like that i mean that's that's tough that's tough for grown men to do you got eight-year-old boys doing it I mean, and it's not, you know, like they're going to, you know, lock them in the basement or something if they don't. You know what I mean? It's, there is an emphasis and a push to, you know, you need to do that. You need to, you know, you, you got to do this in front of the congregation. There's that standard that you must keep, you know. And you don't want to let Jehovah down. You don't want to let your congregation down. It really means a lot to them. And there is pressure. There's a lot of pressure. But I think, too, there is that spirit of, they're sincere, and they genuinely do want to do right by God. They want to do the right thing. And even though they're in falsehood, sincerity don't make it true. But you look at it, and I just remember back fondly, that was my favorite thing was theocratic ministry school. As, you know, us doing those talks and, you know, people observing and learning and learning how to interact with their, with their community. I have really fond memories of that. You know, it's not all bad. It's not all doom and gloom, you know. I, I have some really fond memories of the time I spent at Kingdom Hall. And I learned a lot. I really did. Um, once again, I'm not saying that churches have to follow that pattern, you know, exactly like they do. But I do feel like, regardless of what denomination, if you, if you both, if this church, this Methodist church and this Baptist church, or I've seen them across the street. When I was pastoring at Bell Green, I, I never set foot in the Methodist church, literally a stone throw away. And I wanted to, but, you know, we just didn't have that rapport. And we should. We should have that rapport among churches and talk and converse. I mean, we're all going to heaven together, you know. We're all in a, in a, we're all in this together. You know, and I think that's one thing I would say coming out of the witnesses and coming into Christianity is I wish that just the church would recognize that and realize that, that we're all on the same team here. You know, we're all, we're all on Jesus' side. And I just see, you know, I never dreamed of a church splitting. Like, a kingdom hall? Absolutely not. That ain't going to happen. No. They're not, it's not going to happen. And I do think that there are in, in application some things that they do that we could really take a step back and look at and say, you know what, we could, we could, we could work at that better. You know, I think that's fair to say. A lot of it. I think it's, I think it's a little of both. I think that the sincerity's there. Their hearts in it, but I think that that's under it's it's linchpin by fear. That oh, if I don't do this right, I may die. I'm gonna die at Armageddon. You know, I don't want to displease Jehovah. 
you know. So, yeah, there's a lot of fear undermine that linchpins that but I think it's just a it's a it's a mixture of the two of sincerity and fear I, I believe you're right brother Samuel. he said is there fear involved with their motivations there absolutely is but um again I think there's a level of sincerity there too all right anybody else what you got Mm-hmm. I'm surprised you passed the dish towel up. I can't tell you how many Christmas presents I got and I never put up a Christmas tree. Her question was, or her statement was, is that, you know, she noticed a lady that worked with her that passed up an actual gift but took the Christmas bonus that was given at her job. I'm with you. I find that a little, you know, contradictory. I I think that, let's see, like, I was discussing with somebody earlier, it was me and you talking about it. We were talking about, um, you know, not giving gifts, but they'll gladly take them. I mean, I can't tell you how many birthday presents I've got. Never give anybody one when I was younger, but I certainly would take them. Oh, absolutely. I've accepted many birthday gifts and Christmas presents. Never put a Christmas tree up. Sure. Yeah, you're not going to get one from me. The receiving of gifts is okay, but but what's even cooler or cooler? Or, or this was a cool thing that I learned. Um, a little wild, but when you go to Pioneer School, a Pioneer is the guys that are in full time ministry service. Like they don't have a job; they just drive around, and all they do is knock on doors. That's their whole job. That's it. And when you go to Pioneer School, they teach you that you can celebrate your own birthday. You just can't celebrate somebody else's. Somebody asked me why they don't celebrate birthdays. <laughs> because of two reasons. There's paganism that surrounds it, ancestor worship. Okay. But, you know, we talked about that, you know, that... that if you pull out the dollar bill, there's pagan symbols on it. If you, who here has read a calendar today? Well, that's pagan. Who here has ever, you know, woke up on a Thursday morning and just loved their Thursday? That's Thor's day. Who's worn a, a tie in here before? Come on, I've never wore a tie, guys. Well, I've wore a bunch. And every other male witness has too. Those are pagan. Who's ever flown a cot? <laughs> well, I, I, I will get right back on that. 
So, birthdays, they look at John the Baptist and the birthday celebration where his head was demanded on a silver platter. So they'll open that up and they'll say, well, obviously Jehovah revealed to us that on this birthday celebration that this event happened. And then you have one with Joseph, with the, the baker and the cupbearer and, all, and a beheading. So in those two instances, the only instances talked about genuine birthdays, it was in a negative light, therefore we won't do it. That is bad reduction logic. Extremely bad. You know what else Scripture talks very, very negatively about? Dogs. Dogs are an allegory for sodomites. They say that the, the believer who the believer that comes into the family of God that goes back to their old sinful ways is like a dog returning to his vomit. They're compared to dogs eating vomit. But does that mean that we shouldn't have dogs? No. Just because you own a dog doesn't mean that you know, you're, you're sinning in some way because the Bible has something negative to say in a description using a dog comparing it to something else. So that, it's, it's insane, really. Like, the Bible literally says nothing concerning birthdays. Nothing concerning celebrations. If anything, the celebrations that are mentioned in the Bible, Jesus at a wedding, or you look at Passover, they are having the time of their lives. They're enjoying it. And Jesus embraces people that want to celebrate and celebrate each other. That camaraderie, that family, that unity. That's what he wants. He created us for that. To have that fellowship. So it, it flies in the face of Scripture to say, well, the Bible says, the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say anything about birthdays. And to just draw and say, well, that was a negative thing. Oh, car accidents happen every day. Does that mean we just shouldn't drive cars? Oh, that's just logical reasoning. And it's, it's just silly. It, it, it really is at the end of the day. So that answers your question there. You want to know about tithes, Brother Sam? I ain't forgot you. He's asking about tithes. They do not tithe. There's a box that would sit right, I would say it would be outside there and be on that wall where that mirror's at and there's a little box and you drop in what you want to give. Nobody knows what you give. It's all voluntary donation. He, uh, Brother Sammy's question is concerning government and being affiliated with the government or working for the government or receiving a, you know, a, a subsidy or a, a, you know, welfare or anything from the government, you know, to sustain your life or your, your finances. Um, I agree with you. I agree that that's a little bit, you know, you're not going to, you can't do military service. You can't vote. You can't, um, you're a pacifist. You have to be a pacifist. You don't bear arms against people. Um, they can hunt, you know, they'll hunt and fish and things like that, but they, they will not take up arms against somebody. They're completely pacifist, and the reason why is from the verse, I don't know what, I can't quote it off the top of my head, but it says they'll beat their 
plows into pruning shears and their spears into, or, or swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning shears and they will learn war no more. Well, that's on that new earth. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what he's talking about, coming into the actual kingdom of God, like the physical kingdom of God. When you reside with God and you are with God in His glory, sure, you're not going to learn war anymore. I mean, we could logically deduce that. But in sinful, fallen humanity, that's just not reality. It's more evil to allow evil to go unchecked. Absolutely is. So, their whole thing <clears throat> concerning that is, and I really, I really dropped the ball on them when I joined the military because that's a no, no. Like, I literally had people calling me I hadn't spoken to in years and like, you're just trying to kill your family, aren't you? You're just, you're just absolutely determined to put us in the grave. And I mean, it was nothing, nothing good to be said. It was like, I literally broke their hearts. I'd already broken their hearts, becoming an apostate, becoming a Christian, and then when I when I went into the military, that just that really that really messed them up. But um, yeah, again, it's bad interpretation of scripture. They use verses, cherry pick verses, to take a pacifist role, and um, but I will say, and I try to be fair. I always try to be fair and we're good and bad, you know. I will say that the Jehovah's Witnesses have fought a really hard and long fight with our, with our leaders on free speech and freedom of religion. They've been in that fight, so you've got to give them that. They, they, have, they have been, they've thrown their hat into that arena as well. But also, as a point of history, what's really cool, I keep saying cool, it's not really cool at all, actually. It's... Um, not necessarily important. It's just need information, I guess. During World War II, during the um, when Hitler and the Nazis were um, establishing the concentration camps, and you know, and, and concerning the Jew question, and concerning you know eugenics and euthanization, you know, you know, you realize that Hitler didn't just kill Jews; he killed homosexuals. He killed anybody that had a mental handicap that couldn't take care of themselves. And one of the big things, one of Hitler's biggest fears was Christianity. He says, if Christianity is allowed to run rampant and flourish, my whole idea will go away. I'm paraphrasing. Like, he understood how vital the church was against his regime. He knew that. He knew that it gives individuals individual liberty, freedom, and value. And that's something that he couldn't have. He couldn't have one individual better than the other, than the collective, you see. So he started going after churches and things, and believe it or not, Jehovah's Witnesses were one of the groups that he went after, and they were in there, majority were in there by their own free will. They wouldn't, they wouldn't salute Hitler. They wouldn't haul Hitler. I think there's bravery in that. There's absolute, they wore purple triangles on their uniforms. And... Um, the witnesses want to say that nobody, nobody turned on their back on their faith. There's been reports and, and documentation that some people did flee. Some witnesses did flee. Um, but uh, the witnesses were hit, hit really hard with the Holocaust. Like it, 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 took several, it took several lives 
of the witnesses there. And they wear that as a badge of honor. Yes, sir. Yes. No, 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 no. I thought you meant their spiritual learning is dependent on the Watchtower and Bible Track Society. They are what reveals fruit at the proper time. Bethel is what it was called in my time. And I was actually going to go to Bethel. I was in, I was in the running to go. I, was, I had that good a standing with them. I kept my nose clean. And it's a badge of honor to say you've been a Bethelite. It's like a pilgrimage or going to Mecca or going to the temple in Salt Lake City as a Mormon, you know. And I, would, I basically would work three hots in a cot and got paid a meager wage just to do the printing presses and clean up and do, you know, whatever they ask of me to do. Um, but that is where all information stems from because of their interpretation of Matthew 24, the faithful and discreet slave, that the watchtower, Bethel, is the faithful and discreet slave. That's the only place that the Holy Spirit allows truth to flow through. Because they don't believe that we can have the truth just reading the Bible ourselves. That it only comes through that organization. So to answer your question, no, it's not at home. They get their their information to the kingdom halls filtered down through the society. It just trickles down. So, did that answer your question? They don't, no, they don't have a problem with going to public school, but I'm pretty sure some of you have seen them while you're in public school and been around them and noticed that they, they wouldn't celebrate holidays, and they wouldn't do the birthdays, and they wouldn't go to parties, they wouldn't go to sporting events and things like that. They, as a witness, you're allowed to have acquaintances and schoolmates or acquaintances or who you work with can be a genuine acquaintance. The only time you would ever really spend adequate amounts of time with an individual is if you're studying with them. Because if you start hanging out with people like that as a witness, you'll get called to the back room pretty quick. Call to the back room means you're in trouble. Oh, I'm sorry. There's so many questions. He asked me. Well, let me finish up with this right here. Um, so, um, all information trickles down from Bethel and the uh, Watchtower. And as far as everyday lives, like what you, you know, ball games and things like that, they just, they don't, they don't do those things. So, that answer your question? How did I leave? Well, that's a multi-layered story. The biggest thing was, was when he asked the question, how did I wind up leaving the witnesses? There, there are many factors to that, but I'll just hit the major ones. One big factor at first was, and if I'm not looking at you, it's me trying to go back in time and really think about things. It, a lot of stuff has happened in the short amount of time concerning this. I become baptized, I'm all in it, I'm, I'm euphoric about it, I'm on top of the world, there's a fire in me, I'm going to go convert everybody, you know, that's just, that's what everybody does. You should feel like when you're saved, you're on fire, you know, and that's how I was, you know, I wanted to knock on every door and talk to everybody. Personal study, that's why that quote says what it says about independent study. Because when I started studying independently, I started having questions about hell and, you know, Enoch. Where'd he go? 
You know what I mean? He's just gone, you know. Well, was he one of the 144,000? I mean, you know, like those are the questions, subsequent questions that followed. And I started having sincere doubts. And I actually picked up an old publication that's talking about a prophetic date that was going to occur in 1975. And here it is, 2004. And I'm like, you know, I asked an elder about it, and he's like, you can't pay attention to any of that. I'm like, I thought this was faithful and discreet slave. I thought they didn't lie. I thought they were the only, only source of truth in the world, you know. Well, they were wrong about that. What else are they wrong about, you know? But I did what most people do. I know people in church that don't believe in Christianity, but they're afraid to leave it because of their family. That's kind of where I fail. You know, I give this up, I leave. I leave everybody I know behind. I'm isolated. I don't have friends. You see now, I don't have friends out there. I'm not allowed to have friends out there. That's a tactic. That's a tactic to keep you ingrained in the group. And then when I sought out the courage to leave, and I was, all I had was my mother, I, I'd met her. I'd seen her. I hadn't met her. Then I decided I was going to go meet her, and then she really helped me along the way, but it wasn't until last month of me getting out of the Marine Corps that I actually got enough nerve. I was terrified to investigate the witnesses in the watchtower to see if it was wrong. And within one hour, I realized it was wrong. And I'd been lied to most of my life. Even though I wasn't in it, even though I wasn't practicing, and I necessarily didn't agree with everything with them, I still harbored those doctrines and that that line of thinking that they did you see i mean when you're taught something for so long when you come up on something that's saying contrary to that it shakes you it shook me and ultimately that led me to agnosticism atheism then to christ and that's how I got out. It was a personal study. Short answer, poor personal study. But there are other factors in there that helped steer me because I wouldn't be where I am without this woman. There's no way. There's no way I'd be here without her. Yes, sir. They do. They, um, no, that's actually a great question. Do they listen to radio, newsletters, and TV? That comes with a caveat, though. Um, it is very, very, very impressed upon that you do not watch R-rated movies. It's extremely pressed upon. And if they realize what kind of content you're watching, they can address that. Or listening to, type of music you're listening to. Yeah. They sure can. Anybody else? What time are you looking? About six it's six twenty now, go to six thirty and we'll be good. Okay. Got time for my one, two more. Somebody asked me about something. Um let's see. What's that? That's the same reason it falls under, you know, government and serving in the military and all that. Like, mostly, though, the flag is considered idol worship in their view. You're, you're idolizing something. You're erecting it. Well, as far as they're concerned, that's an idol, too. So, graven image. I'm sure you've heard that argument before, Brother Sammy, that 
you aren't supposed to have graven images. And we could unpack that if you'd like, but ultimately it's that. They don't salute the flag because it's idol worship and you don't show patriotism. <laughs> oh, it's fine. Great question. I get several. I love, I love your questions. Um, we just saw one the other day in the store. I hadn't seen her in years. She was a mail carrier. And I grabbed the box from her and set it down. And she shoved a basket to her and said, here, this is what's outgoing. And I saw her then. I was like, I was like hey, how are you? And she's like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm good. Are you good? I, I was going to make her say hi. You're in my store. You're going to say hi to me. You're at least going to acknowledge I'm there. This is my store. You're going to say something. I, that was just me, you know. I wasn't ugly. I was like, hi, how are you? I haven't seen you in ages. Yeah. And I mean, you, she couldn't get out of that store fast enough. I don't think she realized it was me until she walked up and she's already there and committed it was too late. But um, I wasn't trying to be ugly, but you can at least say hi to somebody, you know. Um, other other interactions I've had when I've ran into witnesses I've been walking into the middle from the middle of the parking lot of Walmart into the store and somebody see me this woman saw me and literally went three rows down just to get away from me um but again in North Carolina when I was in the military there that, that congregation in the area had a ministry of going around and reaching out to disfellowship that's something that I'd never seen before you know that was that was really that was different, you know. So they were really nice. They were very cordial. Um, most that you meet are nice. I mean, they're good. They're good folks. I mean, they're you know. Um, but generally, when people see me and they know it's me, they're gonna go the other way. That's why I'm doing this here. So when y'all talk to them, now you got something to tell them. Yes, sir. Oh, they do that. <laughs> All right, that's a great, that's a great question, B. Um, his question was, is in, in what world or what universe would somebody look at this stuff and say, yeah, sign me up. I want to do all that, not birthdays and all that stuff. Great question. It doesn't start out that way. You know, when you're studying with somebody, birthdays and all that stuff ain't going to get brought up. Um, being unpatriotic or whatever, they're going to hit you with the basics of the basics, like what I've covered in here, of God's personal nature, of Jesus being the first creation, firstborn of all creation, first created being, God's Holy Spirit is his active force, and the paradise earth. That's what they're going to hit first. And you said it, Brother Sammy. They go after Baptists. That's one group they go after because they know that Baptists don't know what they should know as a whole. Not saying any of you don't. I'm just saying in general. No, don't, I don't want to offend anybody. But 
They also prey on people who are vulnerable, who are weak, a single mother or a widow or something like that, that, or a trauma that's happened in a family. And it's really, if you don't know your theology, it's really, really, really attractive when a witness walks up and says, well, you know your husband will be resurrected after Armageddon, right? It's attractive. And when people's hurting and they're looking for hope and they're looking for an answer and they're looking and latching on to anything that they can, they take the bait. And then at that point, after they're already invested, it doesn't matter. That stuff just falls to the wayside. It just comes on with it. It's a domino effect. So they don't hit you with all that stuff first. It's, and that's why I'm sharing this. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm exposing this because really the birthdays and things like that is not that important, but absolutely to the point of what you're talking about. Somebody celebrated their birth, birthday our whole life. Why in the world would they want to give that up? The only way you're going to get somebody to accept that is if, wow, this is the truth. I'm seeing this on the onset concerning God's nature and how one's saved and, you know, paradise earth and all that. What else must they be right about? Yep. Being a need for somebody. Answering questions. I can't... <laughs> it ain't just Baptists. They go after every denomination. But Baptists seem to... I don't know. I think Baptists tend to be the butt of the jokes <laughs> all the time. But um, most of that I encountered were Baptists, though. You know, I'd say probably per... per Capita, there's probably more Baptists in the South than anything else, Southern Baptists. But um, I met all kinds of people, you know. Um, a lot of Baptists. I think that we got time for one more. It, remember, there's no dumb question. There's not. And probably what you're thinking of, somebody's probably thinking of too. What verse did you say you? It sounds like it. It sounds like, because that's what the whole, his question was like concerning the Lord's Prayer, concerning government, that the 144,000 will basically, you know, govern or rule over them. Yeah, you're right. That they are to be, right, right. It's going to be that echelon of power or hierarchy or whatever. That the 144,000 will basically dictate and rule and judge over the earth, over the ones that have the earthly hope. Yeah, you're right on that one. Good question. Well, I think it's about my time. Have you enjoyed it? That's my question. Have you learned something? Look, I, like I said, I could have gave you a whole packet on everything there. I could have printed off my binder and all that. But guys, I think it goes without saying that what we learned about them, there are some things we can learn from them. Don't take, the, you know, take that away. That there is things that can be learned and garnered to help and make our ministry more efficient. 
doesn't say it doesn't mean we have to be exactly like them, but we can look at the way they do things and how they incorporate their tools to reach people. And I think that we just really, we have all those tools. We're able to do it. We just got to do it. We just got to do it. And that's what's important to me is my brethren, my brothers and sisters in Christ, being more bold, being encouraged, being more courageous. And there's nothing, if you've ever led anybody to the Lord, if you have, no show of hands, because it's not a, you know, a contest or anything. I'm just asking. If you have, you were pivotal in leading somebody to Jesus. I want one person to express to me how that made you feel. You're right. It just, it fills your soul with something that is irreplaceable. You feel like you have done something. And you've done something worthwhile that matters, that means something. This earth, this life is full of meaningless. We get worked up over meaningless things. We get so worked up and tied up in our finances, our jobs, our status in in the community. And the thing that really matters, I read a book a while back called Imagine Heaven, and it gives us a view of heaven. And this person had a vision, and I'm going to end on this. He had a vision, a dream, a near-death experience, actually. He, he was clinically dead, and he met Jesus. And his whole family got into a car accident. It was him, his wife, and two babies. One was a toddler, and the other one was an infant. And he was in this near-death experience, and he said, I just couldn't. They were Christians. They were believers. And he was describing his wife standing there, but the kids weren't. And that alarms went off him. Like, where are my children? Because this place he was in, he didn't want to leave. He said, this place is beautiful. This, he could feel God's presence. He didn't see God, but he saw his wife. And his wife, in the most heartbreaking thing, says, I have to stay. But I need you to go back. Our boys need you. And he come to, alive in the car. And his baby's screaming in the back. And the toddler's like screaming for mommy, mommy, mommy's, mommy's died. And he heard in his, he heard in his, he heard it. He, he, he felt it more than he heard it. He said, now, do you know the measure of love? The people put in our lives are our ministry. The people that we interact with on a daily basis are people deliberately put in our path for God to use us to bring them to Him. It's really that simple. If we witness to every person in our lives that we interact with every day, not every one of them is going to accept But that one that does, (laughs) it's all worth it for that one. Just one. Just one. It's life-changing. It's literally life-changing. The best thing I've ever done was been part of bringing somebody to Christ. 
And if this can help you, not saying be like be said. Every witness is not going to be like, well, sign me up, you know. I'm a. It's going to take work. This was a process for me that was in the years of the making. We have to be dedicated. We have to be friends. We have to be neighbors, and we have to have that compassion for the long haul. Question is, how much do you love them? That's the real question. Are you willing to put the work in? That's the question we all have to ask ourselves. So I hope I've encouraged you to do that. I hope I've encouraged you rolling sleeves up, do some studying, and learn a little bit about our culture and who's in it, and to engage them. Because things aren't going to change until we do that. They're not. I think I'm done. It's all you, Brother Sammy. I'll quit talking now. Thank you, brother. Fantastic job. If you enjoyed these four weeks, say amen. Amen. I have been very informative. Thank you for being open and transparent and